conversations around wellness and weight loss can be complicated. There's the Instagram filter we all see on IG and social media, and then IRL. And between $20 smoothies and daily ice baths, everyone is doing the most to hack the health system. But there's a better way. Row. Row provides access to the most popular weight loss shots on the market. Over 200,000 people have already chosen Row to help them lose weight. And you can sign up from the comfort of your own home. No scheduling a doctor's appointment, commute to the doctor's office, and no waiting rooms. The Row Body Program pairs a weekly shot with healthy lifestyle changes so you can lose 15 to 20% of your weight in a year on average and actually keep it off. Of course, medication must be paired with diet and exercise modifications in order to achieve any stated results. Medication cost is not included in the program. Patients must pay for medication separately. With Roe, average weight loss is 15 to 20% in one year with healthy lifestyle changes. BMI and other eligibility criteria apply. Go to roco slash Girls. You can sign up today and you'll pay just $99 for your first month and $145 a month after that. Medication costs are separate. That's ro.co slash Girls. Sign up today. in Andy's girl's history. I have to say, never before, I believe, in the, Damien, you would know, never before has there been a roundtable episode of Andy's girls. But I felt in my heart of hearts, the dream team could be brought together. Some of my all-time, greatest of all-time Andy's girls co-hosts, could join in in a conversation about the wild ride and at some points shitstorm that has been 2020 through the eyes of Bravo. So I'm so excited. (laughs) So excited. I can't pronounce. Oh my God. A moment in history. So excited to be joined by none other than Richie Skye, news and entertainment journalist and pop culture expert Evan Ross Katz, the writer and host of the pod Shut Up Evan, and a man that I consider and celebrate as the Doris Kearns Goodwin of Bravo, and Damian Bellino, senior producer at VH1 and co-host of the podcast you might know her from, also known to the Andy's Girls community as the OG of the AG. Um, guys, welcome to the People's People's Couch. How are we? <laughs> awesome. We're thrilled to be here. Is this weird for anybody? Because you're so used to seeing me. First off, I put on makeup and clothing for you guys. I think I have recorded with each of you this year 
in at best PJs and probably most normally a, an actual robe, which is how <laughs> recording has gone. And listeners at home just know that literally uh, everyone is nodding their head in agreement with that <laughs> assessment. Um, so I'm so excited to be wearing a dress that sort of zips and some makeup and some glossier and washed my well no I didn't I didn't wash my hair but we'll pretend I did I did spiritually um so guys question for you you know so many questions first off how are we how are we doing how is your beautiful wonderful glorious holiday season uh been so far Evan how are you I'm good I'm staying inside and keeping out of trouble or trying my best to I love keeping out of trouble and trying your best to Richie Sky. How are you? I'm awesome. A little tired from all the Potomac madness, but uh-huh. otherwise, I'm feeling good. Okay, great. Damian Bellino, OG of the AG. How are we? Um, I'm doing well. I'm also I'm feeling really angry about Potomac. Like I feel really Oh, hot. great. Okay. So, cool. I'm excited to talk, but I also feel like you know me. I get like mm-hmm. heated. Hot. Well, I have to say, temperatures are always hot when I look at the three of you (laughs) and just myself. I'm just very into us. So listen, I have some questions for you about the year in Bravo and some of the um, top 10 moments, in my um, opinion, so obviously also known as actual fact, about some top moments in Bravo this year. But I do want to get started with Potomac because, you know, we're recording this relatively early in the week. It's been two days since part three aired. Um, I want to get your thoughts. Obviously, Richie, you have potentially a different perspective to this because since part three aired, you've had a conversation, uh, you know, have uh, discussed and aired some episodes talking about the reunion itself and have also sat down for two hours with Monique Samuels, who I could say is previously known as a Potomac housewife as she's since announced that she's leaving the show um and Evan as you know you and I have had many long-form conversations uh, I've sent Evan many text messages about Potomac but then you know also shoes so there's a lot for us to unpack um Damien let's start with you because you're talking a little bit about you know some some feels that you may have what what were your thoughts watching the cycle reunion cycle and part three specifically what's got you hot and bothered i i don't know that i ever feel like andy is like a true mediator but i felt like in particular he was so pushing some sort of i i don't know that he was not like listening to monique and i felt like the ways in which like they showed certain instagram lives but then not other instagram lives like i felt like he was not presenting a balanced conversation and I found that super frustrating um Mm -hmm. I don't know so that like that just made me so angry I felt like they wanted to make Monique look as someone on Twitter said like like a punk and I don't think that they succeeded I don't think that they are taking a temperature of what viewers are are attuned to but I think that Mm -hmm. they are clearly trying to take a stand on what the series is supposed to be and I felt like Mm -hmm. It was sort of like when Leanne was the star of the show and then they put her in the middle of the sofa and acted like she wasn't, but then like he raked her across the coals. It obviously not comparable, not condoning Monique's actions, not condoning Leanne's mm-hmm. actions, but I find it frustrating when someone is sort of like hit down over and over again and it's like not a balanced conversation. It's like, oh, this is where Andy and the production company and Bravo stand. Got it. That's not what I signed up to watch though. 
Um, Richie, what were your thoughts watching? I think watching it, I felt just as frustrated as well because it definitely seemed heavily unbalanced, especially with regards to the way the questions were directed at Monique, what was shown from the lives and what wasn't shown from uh, the whole plot. So to me, it just seemed kind of like, I don't know. But then in a small way, and I love Andy Cohen, but I felt almost like he was just kind of phoning it in. Like there were aspects of the show that he seemed to be quite clueless about. And Mm -hmm. The interesting thing about Potomac in this season in particular is that it wasn't just about what was happening on the show. It was also about what was not happening on the show, what was happening in social media and playing out behind the scenes. And he seemed blithely unaware of that. Yeah, he's a guy who, to me, you know, obviously he's the face of Bravo. He's certainly the face of Housewives, and he carries that um, EP credit like a badge of honor which I absolutely think he should he is like the mind that created all of this the world that we all love to discuss um, and in many ways celebrate and it was interesting to me you know that a man who gets so many episodes in advance didn't seem aware of even like the name of Monique's song or that she had created one which is a different conversation than was this in and of itself a good idea Like there were elements of this where I thought, was he not prepped or is he in the middle of too many different shows, both, you know, dealing with all of the housewife shows and then hosting all of the other shows that he doesn't even necessarily have a producer role on? Like, has this reached a point where there is no room except to show there's no like he doesn't have capacity except to show potentially his allegiance, you know, where it's like. There's too much on his plate. Evan, do you have any thoughts on that? I mean, I agree with everything that's been said. I would add, I don't think his behavior in this reunion was like atypical to other reunions. Mm -hmm. I feel like a lot of the beating that he's taking online, for lack, excuse me, I should use a better word in this instance, a lot of the attacks that he's dealing with online, you can kind of go back and watch past reunions and see him fumble the ball quite a bit. Um, But I do agree. I feel like this is the cast that he has the least connections to IRL. I think specifically with like New York, Beverly Hills, OC and Atlanta, he loves those women. They are kind of, he's friendly with them. I think he's texting with a lot of them. I just think he intersects with the women of Potomac the least. That's not an excuse, um, but that is to say that I just, I think he is more of a viewer like us. And I think in the other franchises, he has a little bit more of a role within them. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah, I definitely think uh, him, his criticisms of Monique's music, I thought, especially considering the legacy of Housewives discography, (laughs) I thought was just in really poor taste. And also he just was generally, you know, as has been pointed out already, he just was dismissive of Monique's point of view. And it came from a place of, it felt like he didn't want to grant her grace and that's kind of the purpose of the reunion. And so that part was a little bit tricky. It definitely was clear though, he is not aware of the online fandom for Monique. Um, It was very much questions from the perspective of thinking of that Monique was going to be um, on the outs. And I think that it perhaps was a rude awakening uh, for him to realize that the majority of the fandom for complex reasons, seems to be Team Monique. Hmm. 
Yeah, and there's something that Monique referenced um, originally in her conversation with you, Richie, that just aired or just went up online and also on social media today, which was some behind-the-scenes tea. And with Potomac, so much of the frustration that Monique felt that she carried into this season but didn't necessarily address until the reunion and until some Instagram Lives was this conversation and this alleged quote-unquote plot. And so because that happened off camera, and we'll never really know the intentions behind how Giselle said it and what the specific language was, that adds a complication in truly, like, potentially understanding Monique's perspective because we don't actually know the reality behind the gossip, you know, discussed by members of reality TV. But there were some additional, so that's like one issue that I had, but there were some additional problems like this thing that happened where Monique, all of these women, I think all drove out from Potomac or Potomac thereabouts to Jersey to film with their teams, isolated, got to the space, did the mask, yada, yada, isolated, went out to film, yada, yada. Monique arrived to her hotel. Everybody got their shit together in their rooms. A hotel that was booked for her, I believe, by Bravo or production or whatever, got a text or a call from Karen who said, are you here? Come meet me. And Monique said, come meet me in my room, 815 or whatever. Karen calls her and says, why aren't you answering? And it turns out that Monique had been booked in a different hotel than the hotel that the other women had been staying at. And also that other hotel, by the way, was the one where the reunion was being shot. And I think that there's a lot of strange energy around how Potomac has been handled and how these women have spoken about each other and been spoken about online where there is an undue pressure or hardship on these women to represent something that they're not responsible for. And it feels like punitive measures have been done as a result. And the irony for me is that a lot of these punitive measures only go to show the fact that these women who are P.S. black housewives are being held to a different standard than non-black housewives on other shows and are also being further punished because of behavior that was celebrated on New Jersey, celebrated in Orange County. And it makes me kind of uncomfortable. Like Giselle bringing a bodyguard because she wants us to all feel that Chris Samuels is a danger it makes me uncomfortable. So hearing about the hotel sitch, it just raises questions for me that kind of feed into some unease about how this season has been handled. Richie, can you talk a little bit about it? Because you spoke with Monique uh, directly about this. Yeah, I mean, you know, from her vantage point, it was an unfair situation. It was, it almost I think it almost felt like it was meant to throw her off her game because she knew that she was coming into the reunion. She was coming very well prepared and she was coming with very specific messaging um, in in, with response to everything that she'd gone through. Um, And to take it a step further, I think she also felt as though there may have been a little bit of a 
worry that because of everything that's going on with the Black Lives Matter movement and, you know, everything that's happened since George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, all of those things that have happened this year, it almost felt like maybe there was some desire to distance the network from any sort of violence that may be happening on the screen. So she did try to understand where they may be coming from with the line of questioning and why it was so severe with regards to her versus Danielle, Teresa, you know, Lisa Renna, Adriana Demora, you know, and I'm just naming several instances of situations where we've seen this before. Um, she also said that she was complimented by some of the people who, I guess, either represent the network or work for the network and how she handled the tough questioning during the reunion as well. So she gave a fair assessment. You know, she was hurt by what happened, but she also worked to be as complimentary of the situation as possible, which she didn't have to do. Was anyone's minds changed about the altercation itself, about Monique versus Candace versus, in the words of Mixing with Monique, team the table? Did... Did the reunion cycle change anybody's mind? I fucking love. And it's not team table, by the way. It's team the table, which is a very important thing to clarify. Did anybody go into this reunion with expectations about allegiances or sides that were changed as a result of, you know, the reunion cycle? I think that Monique had a really good part one. Um, and, you know, and again, I'm, I'm basing this off of the reaction that I'm seeing on Twitter and this mm -hmm. feeling seemed to be like Monique came in there prepared and she came and delivered, you know, really strongly. I felt like from the viewer perspective, not a lot happened in part two. I felt like part mm -hmm. two was more like, um, business kind of like taking care of business. And then obviously part three was like the big crescendo. I don't think my opinion about things changed much. I will say that, um, Chris Samuel's demeanor throughout the reunion was, it was interesting as a viewer just to see how much these emotions were so raw within them. I think I anticipated that this reunion was gonna be more of a chance for like reflection. And what became clear from the viewer perspective was that like this, all of this, this whole mess that is, that goes way deeper than just that physical altercation, all of this, it's still very much in their bodies and in their minds. And so it almost is one of those moments where it's like this, it almost felt like it, it wasn't even like reunion fodder. It's like, I, do you remember the episode after the fight with all the ladies in the room together, sort of like hashing things out? It's mm. almost like I wanted that moment again. And, mm. and again, it's like, it's not that Andy did badly in that instance. It's that Andy is not the right person to mediate that conversation. And it's also a much bigger conversation than a typical housewives reunion fodder. I mean, the fact that we're even sitting here having this conversation right now, compare this to the current goings on on all these other franchises. I mean, Potomac is just doing something on a different level than all the other shows. And I think it's a wonderful thing, but I think it makes it more complex to discuss. Damien, what were your thoughts going in and, and did anything change as a result of watching the cycle play out? 
Um, I would agree that Monique had a really strong start, but I feel like the conversation like lacks and lacked any nuance to break down the fight. I feel like this sort of absolute, which is like my like the cross that I will bear till the end of like that fighting is bad and therefore you lose your job when you do it on reality TV. And so when someone screams in your face, hit me, bitch, and then you'll lose your job. It like and then they get hit. Like it lacks any nuance about like what got us there. And so I feel like some of that is like I felt like we were getting hit over the head with, which is like, you're bad. Do you not have remorse for this? Do you not have remorse for your behavior? You don't, like, you didn't say, and she was like, of course I feel bad. And he was like, well, you didn't say that. And I was like, like, that sort of line of questioning wasn't moving the needle anywhere because we know where Andy stands. He's not listening to her response. And then there's like a judgment in sort of the follow-up. So I don't know that, I don't, yeah, I don't, nothing, my opinion didn't change. I feel like, I don't feel like blindly team Monique, but I just feel sort of frustrated by this idea that like, sort of like a PR team is, is managing the reunion opposed to letting everybody, like, let everybody say their piece and make themselves look bad. But we don't need to, I don't know, be like pushed into thinking. Also, if I can just, uh, if I can just, um, as far as Monique's hotel situation, like from my perspective, if Monique and Candace hadn't seen each other in over a year and this was going to be the first time that they saw each other, I wouldn't want to risk that Chris and Chris saw each other in the lobby, that their glam squads bumped into each other, mm-hmm. that like any moment of them interacting could possibly be interrupted without a camera crew present because that initial conversation is like so what you want. Like that's what the producers want to capture. And mm-hmm. I think the optics and the diversity of minds in the upper management maybe would have said, like, let's put Karen and Ashley um, in the same hotel as Monique so that the optics aren't that she's being singled out or that there isn't, you know. But I think that from my – like, initially I was like, well, of course she was isolated because, like, that's mm-hmm. like sending all the drag queens to RuPaul's Drag Race, like putting them separate and not letting them see each other so that when they come in they're like, oh, my God, you're here. It's like you don't want Karen – I mean, you don't want Monique and Ashley to um, – Monique and Candace to see each other when, like, cameras aren't rolling. Hmm. And yet, wouldn't you tell her that? I mean, yeah, sure. It's strange to me. I, it felt similar to the the security guard there where the understanding or the implication to Monique herself was that this was happening because she had done wrong. This was happening because she was potentially seen as a danger, which is a different kind of conversation and a different kind of nuance that doesn't feel punitive than because we know this is like an extra hot season and because our focus is on capturing it on camera and because we want you guys to not feel distracted or any in any way or pressure of running into each other we're gonna do a little isolate and as you said if they had put ashley and karen in the same hotel and then done wendy and candace and giselle and robin no problem at all I i think that would actually be potentially smart you know these women are going to do their strategy session regardless of whether or not um it's being filmed it's just natural these are human people who have natural and professional alliances you're going to do a little strategery before you actually film it's just unfortunate that it landed in the way that it did because it's yet another example of just like like a little bit of for potomac which is the number one you know it's like i don't want to feel icky about whatever's happening or is being driven as far as story that's impacting my ability to understand these women. It just felt like 
another hurdle. Can I add one thing um, that I think is probably not well known by a lot of people? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I I think it was extra. I don't know. I don't want to call it punitive, but I just think it wasn't a bit of extra sparkle that they showed the security guard because when I was watching Dr. Heavenly review, and, and she's from Married to Medicine, for those who don't know. Uh, she was reviewing the episode, and when she talked about the bodyguard, she was just not even surprised because she says she too has brought a bodyguard with her to film, but we've never seen it on the show. Yeah, I mean, in that in the scene with uh, at Karen's house where, where they're having that you know come to Jesus style conversation with Monique, it felt like the bodyguard was like a little bit of an LOL you know where it was being used because she knew she was being extra and whatever else because this stuff involved chris and there was so much around discussed online around the idea of respectability politics and everything else it just honestly landed to me as extra gross in the moment where i'm like you're talking about a black man being seen as a potential and i'm a white woman saying this so like i should 100% go fuck myself just regardless but it, it just felt like you are playing into a really dangerous kind of stereotype. And you're also, as you sh- said, showing the bodyguard. So it feels like this is almost being played off for entertainment value. And I just didn't see anything funny in that. Like when Chris Samuels stood up, I felt like he was standing up to prove his point because there was so much noise. And he literally stood up in his body because you could say he was de-escalating. I thought that at one point that I rewatched eight times and I was like, okay, maybe not de-escalating, but he's trying to prove his point. And so to play off into a bodyguard who the camera operators have been told to, to shoot or whatever, it just made me feel a little extra ooh, about how this was going. You know, like I would rate the reunion ooh, on a scale of one to 10. Ooh, it was like at the 10 plus at that moment. Evan, what are your thoughts? I was just going to say, I think that there's just huge tonal imbalances. And this is not specific to Potomac. This is across reality television in general, but in this specific instance to what you're talking about, it's like you have all the women exiting at the end of the interview and doing, imitating um, Wendy's sort of like slink back. Yeah, the slither, right? And they're all laughing and it's really funny, right? Like we're collectively having this funny moment to cap off the reunion. And yet, you know, a half an hour earlier, it's like things nearly came to blows. And so I think it's just difficult as the viewer sometimes to know when we're seeing that shot of the security guard, how does the show want us, the viewer, to feel about that? And that really is the job of the directors and the editors, not the cast, not Andy, to sort of give us context clues. And I think one of the difficult things with both instances in which we saw the security guard was to what you said earlier, I felt like it was played for comedic effect. Like it was funny that Giselle pulled a stunt. And yet there are very, there's a a lot of different ways that a viewer can interpret that, but the show didn't sort of give any context clues. And I think that in situations as nuanced as this one, as this whole series is so often, you need the producers, you need production to point at things and not imply things. And I think that issue sort of runs rampant specifically with Potomac in terms of not knowing how to feel about a lot of things that we see. I know, for instance, even as a Karen Huger stan, she does things quite often that I do not like, that I do not think are 
good things to do to people you purport to be your friends. And yet, you know, I blindly follow because I love Karen Huger. But it's like the show doesn't really want to grapple with all that sometimes. So as a result, they're like, they make Karen into a joke sometimes. And that to me doesn't quite satisfy me because it's sort of, it's an easy way out. And again, it's just this tonal imbalance that feels peculiar to me at times. It's like how Andy treats Karen kind of like a character and not a real person throughout the reunion. Mm -hmm. And I think what I love so much about Karen, particularly in season five, was how she, I mean, they're all real people. I don't, no disrespect to any of them, just, but there's something about Karen's journey on this show and her journey on reality television and her willingness to open up and, and, and you know, grow as a human being that I think is like worth talking about in a way that like didn't have room at the reunion because we were too busy, you know, ha ha ladam. And I think that's one of the unfortunate things about sort of the tonal imbalance of the show. I mean, how do you guys feel about Potomac moving into the new year? How do we feel about uh, next season moving forward, knowing that Monique won't be there and maybe there'll be a new full-timer added? You know, we have Wendy as a new addition as of this season. Um, how do we feel about the franchise itself? Is it is the fan franchise strong? Is it in good health? Like, do we think that we can move forward from this? Or is this going to be a little bit of a shadow cast over next season? Is it going to be like the talking about Monique and absentia kind of deal, you know? Mm. You know, I think that uh, as I watched the reunion, I'm going to be very honest with you. I felt to myself, there's no way that this entire cast can move forward. And I just, and I've thought that about a lot of reunions over the years. Um, but I really just felt like because the issues ran so deep, um, to me, if I, and I said this to Monique, if I was her, I would not go back. Be simply because I felt like she was blatantly disrespected at the reunion. Um, and I think she felt like that too. And to me, it just felt like Potomac sometimes relies a lot on scandal in order to make the show what it is. Every season, there's been some sort of scandal. And so I think there's maybe some pressure to up the ante every season, which is why this whole baby plot line was sort of a little lingering subplot throughout the season that really became a bigger thing after it was over. So I think that they're gonna need to rethink how they do that uh, moving forward because we it, it can't be the same season of, of Michael Darby has a scandal. You know, they don't have the Monique and Candace drama anymore. So they can't, they, they gotta, it's gotta be something fresh. Mm -hmm. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, I think it would have it would have been tough. It would have been tough for her to come back and see how that would because I just think it would have carried over. Damien, what are your thoughts? What did everyone think about the when they brought up the storyline that didn't air and then showed footage from it? Uh, because my impression was that Andy and I don't want to say the other women. I, I think I'll say Giselle seemed like you already complained about this to network and got it all pulled out of the season. So why are you bringing it up to try to defend yourself? Which I can understand, but I felt like they were like, let's talk about it. And everyone seemed so exhausted by it 
But then, and I was like, this is dumb. But then they showed the footage, and I was like, oh, my God. Like, show me every, show me all of Giselle's green screens where she's talking about this. Like, I wanted to see it all. So I'm curious how everyone felt about that sort of, like, being shoehorned in and whether you thought that it was inappropriate for, or whatever, not, maybe not the right word, but how you felt about Monique and Chris, like, pushing to talk about the storyline that they apparently fought to have removed from the edit. I don't know how much of the fighting resulted in stuff being removed. That's what was unclear to me. It felt like Monique and Chris were understandably very upset and very frustrated about, in their words and in other people's words as well, a plot. But I don't know. It it felt to me like these women went to dinner after Andy's baby shower. They discussed some strategic ideas for next season. And, you know, word on the street is that there's this and this, regardless of whether you think it's bullshit. Candace didn't give it a lot of weight because she immediately thought this is ridiculous and that may have been something that Giselle understood that it was too ridiculous to play out because it's so easily disproven so she went with maybe she's having a relationship with the trainer instead of this other element and maybe the women at one point thought let's use this and I exclude Candace from that and then chose not to and moan and and Giselle brought it up on camera after that moment where Chris was like doesn't you know doesn't my son look like me which is a wink and a nod to the fact that he knew what was being discussed I don't know that it was a matter of actual footage being removed as much as it was the Samuels and again understandably so focusing on the fact that this was at one point a plan I don't know that it was really put into place you know otherwise I would think it would be in the binder if she said that they had film stuff and that it wasn't it was taken out she said I think in part two that Giselle had done a confessional and a part of that was removed where is that in the binder because that's much more interesting to me to have actual real receipts than who Jamal is fucked because we know Jamal is a piece of shit Giselle knows he's a piece of shit we all get that. If if Giselle is pretending yada yada, oh go tell me. Well, tell I, me. I feel up? like that's an unfair comparison. I saw I feel like I saw a lot of that to say like it's like why is why is Monique deflecting by talking about who Jamal like is fucking and like we all know that that like that, that he's a piece of shit. But like this is a doc. I don't know if it's a docu series. It's a reality show, so it's their real lives. Mm-hmm. So like to me, it is it is fair game to say you're not living your real life and I'm going to poke through holes through it because you're an asshole to everybody else on the show. I love Giselle. She's great for the show, but it felt weird. Like Robin being like, why is this happening? And I was like, because everyone is here to attack this woman. So why wouldn't she say like, here's what I have on everybody. I completely agree with you. I'm just saying it's not surprising to me. I think Monique had every right to say what she did and the reasons that she was saying it, I completely understand. I'm just saying for me, if the bigger issue to me was this stuff with the kid, I want to get some examples of receipts of that. But I completely get why Monique did it. And it made a lot of sense regardless of, you know, whether the, you know, it's the irony is that like we all kind of, know this because he's so obviously like the Disney villain of husbands you know what I'm saying like he's so obviously a piece of shit but it doesn't take away from the fact that she had every right to do it and Giselle had every right to like pretend not to receive it because we could all see what was actually happening (laughs) I I think that I would be uh, dramatically upset as well even if I even if that footage 
never made it to air. And that was my gripe with Andy. He's like, well, this never made it to air. Um, But it was still talked about with the intent to have this on television. 100. And voila, here's the proof of it. Mm-hmm. Here she is speaking about it to Robin eight days after it happened on camera, after they'd already gone to a trip together. So you think that was the first time she had actually had that conversation with Robin? So to me, it's like just common sense at this point tells me that's not the first time she said it on camera. That's not the first time she told Robin. And the intent was regardless, she was all too happy to to have this conversation on camera when she claimed that she thought it was part of their story. It just doesn't make any sense to me. And as someone who has kids, why would you, where is the line? I guess that's my question with Potomac. Why is there no conversation about where the line is drawn? Yeah, I don't, I don't have an answer for you. I think, I think that, because wherever you draw the line, you kind of extend it. That's the sort of the thing with housewives, you know, like you create a boundary and then like the second episode is watching that person cross it. So I don't know. I mean, but that ties into something else I want to get your thoughts on, which is the idea of, of moments in housewives history in 2020, because a lot of this has to do with things that have not necessarily happened before or happened in past years that feel differently that hit differently this year so i have i'd love to just shift a little i'm not trying to tug it i'm just trying to shift it um to some of these moments um that i thought of (laughs) so they're probably completely wrong but i want to get your thoughts so uh starting off with a little bit of a um of a light moment that's kind of recent and in a top moment of 2020 housewives history noting that there is one asterisk to discuss a certain bar situation a bar in crisis um first moment Teresa gets her groove back Teresa married for so many years to juicy joe fully juiced is now being seen with this new italian stallion kind of love that we're assuming will play out next season and to watch a woman who's life we've watched implode I feel like that is a sign of a new direction for New Jersey what are you guys thinking about the upcoming season and also the idea that Teresa has um, dated herself into a new beginning I'm not um <laughs> I just um I no think tree huggers I'm not planting yeah, any seeds. I think there's no there there with New Jersey. I think there hasn't been since maybe season four. I think Teresa is one of one of the least interesting housewives period, let alone OGs. I'm not interested in her new man. I think that Teresa, despite the fact that we have been through so much with her, we still know nothing about this woman. And I think because there's not a lot of there there. And even with the housewives of the past who I quote unquote hate, like a Vicky Gunvalson, mm-hmm. I think Vicky has a lot to offer and has done a lot for the show. I'm rewatching season eight of Orange County right now, and I'm like, oh my, oh my God, God. when Vicky is good, she's great. Teresa for 11. me, Teresa flipped a table, and then from there on out, we didn't get anything. She doesn't, like maybe sprinkle cookies, maybe, and that's not even that iconic. I just feel like Teresa is like that housewife that like we give so much latitude on, and it's like, what does she really bring us? 
it's kind of like she's just kind of snoozing through it all. So I wish her well with this new man, but it's like, what plot are we expecting to get with her falling in love with this guy? It's just good for her. It doesn't need to be on television. Not excited. Okay. So <laughs> love hasn't been found. She's failing upward is essentially what you're saying. Like she's No, she's herself- just failing. Okay, Her great. Life Not is... even upward or downward. No, yeah. Okay. Just fail. Nope. All right. Sideways. There we go. Guys, any thoughts on Teresa before we move on into the maybe the list of nine? <laughs> Plus somebody getting properly laid for maybe the first time in her adult life. By which I mean Teresa. Uh, no thoughts? It lacks the element of surprise. I think Carolyn told us all this would happen years ago. And that's they're oh, missing yeah. a Carol like a Carolyn Manzo on that yep. show because you need like Teresa does offer something and the family connection was something for a while, but like mm-hmm. the wheels fell off and there's nobody smart really. Like Carolyn was specific. Caroline? It's Caroline. Caroline. Sorry. Caroline, Caroline Manzo. Um, shook. Okay. It was smart. So I feel like that is like that is the missing element and they've tried to get it back, but it's always mm-hmm. yeah. Okay, moving on. Number nine, this is not in order. I tried and then I was like, this is not gonna work out for me. Bravo, bravo, fucking bravo. A moment for 2020. This is going to be the official shit on Sarah's list, and I am here for it. Take it. It's the perfect way for me to end the year. So, Do we not care about Bravo, Bravo, fucking Bravo? No, I care, but I feel, again, I feel angry about it because I feel like, I feel similar. Like I felt like the show tried to convince us that the way the reunion ended was that, like, yes, mm-hmm. Denise was withholding information, and now she's gone. And it's like, what? That's not this. That's not the book I just read. Like, that's not the last <laughs> chapter. So I think that Bravo, Bravo, Bravo is like triggering to me because it feels like this great moment. Dorit, Dorit putting a napkin over her face and saying, like, "Honey, it's on camera now. You need to talk about it." Like that moment was a beautiful thing. Like, Dorit's redemption in the debris of this past season was wonderful Um, but I feel like bravo 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 feels triggering because it makes me think of Teddy struggling to get words out it makes me think of Denise being so broken on camera and when we talk about the line as Richie was talking about with like the line with children it's like Sarah, you and I have talked about the line and like the Brandy affair, and if this is this line off limits because Brandy wasn't on the show, yada yada yada. So I think that Bravo, Bravo, Bravo is iconic, but I feel like it's at the expense of Denise now that I've seen it and the way the series season ended, and I don't like that. Um, Evan, your thoughts? I was just gonna say Bravo, Bravo, Bravo feels like as soon as Bravo, the network started branding that, I was off Mm -hmm. the ship. It's (laughs) kind of like when I see Dorinda making the merchandise out of like, I cooked it clean, I made it nice. It's kind of like, let me tell you something's iconic. Don't tell me it's iconic. And with Beverly Hills, just in general, it's, and again, I'm sorry. It's it's, for someone who loves housewives, I sure do seem like I hate them all. but I love Potomac. Um, but uh, no, I just feel like when it ca- came to this entire season, I mean, funny, do we remember the high that was those first couple of episodes? And we were yes. like, oh my God, unbelievable. We were all like, oh my God, like the train is back on track. Like there's a station suddenly. And then it's almost like so funny because it's not like an imploded. It's just a nothing burger. And I feel mm-hmm. like that is the legacy of Beverly Hills. It's like you gave us two and a half iconic seasons. And then similar to Jersey, it's like we didn't really elevate. And I think it's worth noting in comparison to the two good franchises, Potomac and New York, 
even though New York isn't a bad place for the most part, those franchises just continue to level up over the years, minus New York's current state. Um, and I just feel like in the case of Beverly Hills, it's like, we, what do we expect? So bravo, fucking bravo, bravo, whatever. It's like, I'll say it maybe once and I'm, and I'm good. Okay, so this is no longer a top. This is not. These are just a couple moments, and I'm just going to get your thoughts on it. We're rebranding in the moment. This feels very on point for 2020, and I love it. Richie, your thoughts? Um, I just feel like they should have given it to us when it happened. You know, they missed the mark by saving it till the end of the season. We should have seen it when it happened that episode. That was my biggest issue with it. It's like... We were expecting to see this. We had seen it and heard about it, but then they didn't give it to us when it actually happened. We saw it much later and after the fact, and we were all kind of like, wait, this was a one night stand. I already left. Yeah. Um, uh, Okay, next up, um, Erica Jane. It's expensive to be her, apparently. Very expensive. It's turned out, you know, in uh the blogs and whatnot and most importantly you know court documents that her husband tom girardi has been embezzling millions of dollars from the families of plane victims among other among other things and erica's whole push for you're a liar you're a fraud if you don't really uh discuss everything going on in your life on camera i mean it's one thing to potentially maybe have an affair or something else with someone that you don't want to discuss her life's journey. Apparently, if you consider some of these articles, including ones in like the LA times and I think the Washington post, she has potentially been involved with this or at least her companies have and serving as some sort of like, you know, rest stop on the way to Switzerland or whatever they're doing. It's, it's, in, she's not allowed to sell clothing on whatever her fancy version of Poshmark is right now because their funds are frozen. And is this going to be discussed next season or is she changing her mind? How could it not be discussed? Like, I've seen a lot of that speculation. Like, how could it not be discussed? She's you know, I, Beverly Hills has a way of downplaying things that are yeah, actually happening. This is so and, huge. Like, this isn't like, this isn't Mauricio being like in, like, tied up in like real estate, like, legal Mm -hmm. jargon this is like this is huge amount of fraud and also like erica's probably gonna go to jail and like erica checks i don't know about about jail erica checks in is probably not going to be a special i don't know this it's really bad to me seems really bad but someone needs to want to bring her down who in the cast has a vested interest in that potentially lisa rinna but she's too busy smelling selling like lips the other day i looked to see who garcelle was following because i was like she just needs to tear everybody down but she's still following everybody but lisa rinna the warning sign to me that this wasn't <laughs> the to me that this isn't going to go off in the way that we hope for was the fact that Erica attempted to distract us from the actual conversation by posting that text from a million years from a ago of her and the fact that Kyle and us uh, I think Dorit responded with like a snaps you go girl thing <laughs> that to me was more concerning than anything else because these women have made some sort of alliance around the idea of like yes you're a single woman and he's done bad as opposed to the actual problem here which is whether or not he has stepped out or whatever is 
so unrelated to what's actually happening. It has nothing to do with and only further proves the problem that she knows that she's in. And the fact that these women are participating in her conversation, her little, you know, Instagram theater is concerning to me. She released the lady's phone number. (laughs) Like, what? And the woman is a judge, is she not? But I mean, like, it's not like Chrissy's court. This isn't like Quibi. Oh, okay. She not well. She's moved on to other things. But it's like, <laughs> but again, this is like the tone issue that I think I was speaking about earlier, which is mm-hmm. that like they've built Erica Jane up to be like this, like this pinup girl Instagram sensation, like the sort of mm-hmm. like glamour, 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 and everything that this is involved in this lawsuit is very dark. And not Teresa Judy, Judy Che, Judice, whatever. Dark. This is really dark. Judy it has Chai implications for people outside of just this family. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you can have a whole other conversation about whether or not, like, what happened with Teresa and whether or not she deserved that. That's separate. Erica and Tom, what they have done has affected the lives of many other people. So the idea, no matter what, even if this is not discussed on the show, just bringing her back to the show and having us, you know, kiki on vacations and whatever with Erica or like, you know, go Ibiza, she's doing a show, whatever, um, masks on. It's just no matter what they do with her, I think tonally it's going to feel incongruous to the show because it's like you are a criminal. And if, at, at well, excuse me, allegedly, you are either a criminal yourself or you are were in bed with many years with a criminal so criminal by Mm -hmm. association i just think there's no world in which i as a viewer am going to be able to watch erica not that i ever was like really watching had my eye on erica but like i'm not going to be able to watch her without thinking criminal so you want to be in garcelle at lunch being like are your wages being garnished from filming this scene right now (laughs) i think garcelle has better things to do with her time though it's like i just honestly to me it's like Garcelle is too good to have her plot be taking down someone as inconsequential as Erica. It's like Garcelle has too much to give us. I just don't want to see her get caught up in that. Camille would. Camille would. Camille would. And would apologize for it 45 minutes later and maybe cry in a stairwell before accepting an invitation to be in somebody's bridal party that she truly cannot stand and hasn't for the last 15 years. But at least we would have that moment saved on camera for posterity. And that's really what I'm looking for at the end of the day. And I don't think it's on curse. I think like Lisa Rinna is, you know, she came out with this beauty line. I'm sure she's going to do some little tie into whatever. These women are too close. They are too close for comfort. And getting rid of Teddy wasn't solving the problem. It was just getting rid of Teddy, which needed to happen regardless. Um, guys, listen, I have other moments, but I feel like maybe I'll discuss them on a Patreon. I, there, maybe let's just say rest in peace. Can we have an in memoriam for the following housewives who have gone to Housewives Heaven, also known as IRL, without a camera crew following them? And of those people, I have this year-ish, maybe like a little 2019. No, this year, Vicki Gumbelson, Dorinda, Nini, Tamra, Tinsley, Teddy, Leanne. Eva, Danielle, but not really. Denise, Monique. Was anybody gone too soon from that list? Is there anybody who we think this wasn't quite yet their time? Evan's nodding, which is perfect for our audio podcast. Oh, sorry, sorry. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I was too. I was too. <laughs> yeah, I mean, many of those women. Um, the one that comes to mind quickest, I guess, would be Dorinda. Um, I just think the feeling is, yes, Dorinda had an awful season, um, but that kind of is the trajectory of the show. And so what happens next? You give her 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 come up season. It's like, this is just how Housewives works. And I just feel like of all of the women on that franchise, there's 
people audiences love Dorinda. Rihanna loves Dorinda. It's just a very strange move on Bravo's part, and it left this weird taste in my mouth, at least, because it felt like a punishment. It felt like you're the bad place you are in in your life that played on the show. We don't want that. And I just think it's weird. And I also, going into this new season of New York, and I keep seeing these, like, pictures of this new group and first of all i think the group was already fractured going into season 11 mind you Mm -hmm. but it's like seeing this group now without the heart and soul that is dorinda the idea of like lou and ramona being like our anchors and sonia i don't know i feel like they chose to keep the people that are getting the least interesting which i hate to say that about sonia who i love so much but i just feel like they did dorinda so dirty and I feel like they're going to try and do her with, with, you know, kind of give her like the Porsche edit, which is like she's gone for a season, then she's back. Um, right. But I don't know if, I mean, she's writing her book right now. I don't know if she'll be back. So going to miss her. And then also just, I'm going to miss Nini and Vicky. Um, they're OGs. And I respect an OG, except for Teresa. <laughs> <laughs> and they have said that Dorinda's on pause. They've called it a pause. It's It does appear to be because of the not maybe the journey with the anger stuff and a symptom of that being the change in her behavior while drunk. But the idea that they seem to be implying is we're giving you a season to try to deal with this and then come back. But the perspective that she's been showing on social seemingly, I don't agree with that to begin with. I don't see a problem here. So what happens if in a season they realize they need her but she hasn't changed at all. What has that lost season done? You know, like, yeah. how does that work? It felt extra punitive to me because, I mean, they've kept Kelly Dodd for, and Kelly Dodd has done and said so oh many, God. like, much worse things. And I felt like Dorinda had a bad space in her life. But to be quite honest with you, I felt like Tinsley, the person that the anger seemed to be the most directed at, had a great little vindication at the reunion And I felt like, okay, now we can get back to business. We've gotten it all out. Everybody's worked it out. Everybody feels good about this. Let's get back in the ball game and see what Dorinda brings us before we just push her to the side. Because she, unlike some of the people that they have kept, actually, just like Evan said, is kind of like the heartbeat to New York, especially now that Bethany's gone. Let's talk about Kelly Dodd because I assumed incorrectly possibly that Kelly being fired after the season was in my own words, as I said, repeatedly inevitable. And then Kelly was booked on watch what happens. We know the network has not, not once literally not once spoken out. The closest that they've come is Andy Cohen talking around it and making it into a joke and saying like Kelly Dodd should not be your medical provider, which is a problem in and of itself. She's booked on watch what happens. They filmed the reunion, which hasn't been shown yet, but from what I've heard, it appears that they are trying to normalize this person enough to keep her on. Do you think that she'll be fired and let go? And what happens to Orange County if she isn't? I don't know that they're going to fire her. Yeah. I, I At one point in time, I think even you and I talked about it, it seemed like a shoe-in. I was like, oh my God, it's going to happen. I can't, I, I, can't, I can't wait to watch OC again. Uh, but unfortunately, I don't, I don't think... It, it doesn't feel like it's going to happen, honestly. Yeah, I mean, I don't think she'll be fired, but I feel like, I mean, 
this is not news to anyone. I think Orange County, more than any other franchise, just has an identity issue. I think that there's so many themes that run throughout so many of the other franchises in terms of like the stories that are being told or the kind of women that are on there. And I feel like the original conceit of Orange County, which is like behind these pearly gates, that's just kind of become not only normalized on Housewives, but that's just reality television in general yeah. for the for the most part is seeing behind pearly gates. And so I feel like with Orange County, it's just like they're not really doing much. And also it's like unlike these other cities, which kind of have like a story of themselves and representing like what life is like in this part of America. I just feel like Beverly Hills did Orange County's version of California better, more money, better cast, smarter women. And so I just feel like with Orange County, the question sort of just becomes if you're not rooted in like a strong base cast, as is the case with New York, like I don't think we'd be talking about season 12 or 13 of New York if we did not keep so many OGs around and had to keep restructuring it, you know? But I feel like in the case of Orange County, now that we, now that like Shannon storms the door, that like joke is considered the anchor, sorry. Shots fired. It's Sorry. okay. I'll take it. Um, I'll take it. But that fact that she is somehow like considered the anchor of this show and gives nothing at all but that bizarre like chuckle. Um, and like, wow. Okay. Sorry. Down. That's fine. 2020 in a nutshell. Sorry, fine. but I'm just saying it's like there's just no, there, there's Keep no there there. But I also don't know. You know, you know, as we're talking about Potomac, for instance, it's like there's these arcs to these seasons in terms of what we're going to do, and it's like. So imagine, had coronavirus not happened, what was Orange County's plan for the plot this year? It's just like there seems to be no plan at all about where this show is going to go, and these women offer so little, and it's one of those weird situations where it's like you want someone to go toe-to-toe with Kelly, and yet more often than not, it's someone you also don't like, which I feel like is the case with Orange County, whereas it's just like, it's a room full of clowns, and so you just, it, you don't know where to look, because it all just feels like a charade. And also, who's running the circus is the problem. When you have a room full of clowns, yeah. who's running the circus? Because Evolution. it's it, well, where's their evolution is my yeah. question. It, it feels strange to me that in this time that we're in, listen, 2020 has been a shit show. We're in the middle of a global pandemic. The Black Lives Matter movement becomes more and more important and crucial every single day. There was a situation that was in the news today about a young um, black teenager that was like essentially tackled by a white woman in Soho because she thought he had stolen her phone. Guess what? She uh, He hadn't. Spoiler alert. Like, these crises and the social movement is so important for us to discuss and reflect on. And so for so many of us, Bravo has been our space. That's the language in which we speak. And so while it has been great um, and informative for so many of us to watch the the specials on race that have aired on Bravo, to watch how um, the Black Lives Matter movement is um, really the backbone of this season of Atlanta. I watch this other stuff happen. I watch Kelly face seemingly no repercussions for a, a, a endless, seemingly endless list of racist things that she said online with no pushback and I just think like where is the standard here because the network seems very happy to align with the unbelievably amazing work that Portia and Candy for example are doing both within the network itself to get those specials to happen as well as in how hopefully they're working to um, 
shift the ways that some of these shows are being done countered with the network seeming support for the exact opposite, which is the idea of white women of privilege crossing unbelievable lines. And these are all, at the end of the day, employees and faces of the network. Like, where is our role as viewers to react to this without feeling like we are celebrating or supporting people with whom we politically and socially vehemently disagree? The unfortunate thing here is that there is a large portion of the population, I think, that identifies with what Kelly Mm. does and says. Whether we, you know, as Bravo-holics want to really admit it or not, that's the reality. And so my my curiosity is maybe the network still wants to cater to that audience as well because, you know, advertisers, you know, need to advertise their products to those people too. That's the only conclusion that I've been able to come up with as for why she's still on the show. But what's and extra- why she's never been called out. Sorry, Evan. No, I was just going to say what's confusing, too, about her is she doesn't really add a lot to the show because there's something to be said about obviously these shows like Agents of Chaos, like that's kind of that comes with it. And we and we've she's not the first problematic housewife that we've had by a long shot. But the odd thing is, it's like I look at her and I'm like, I don't even see not that being entertaining is a redeeming quality necessarily, but at least in my mind, I would understand the network's incentive to want to keep someone like her around. But Kelly's not bringing a lot. Um, And it's just, it's that constant combativeness. I think to contrast Beverly Hills, you know, when that Brett Kavanaugh conversation happened two Mm. seasons ago, I think Mm -hmm. what made that, I don't want to say it percolated, but what made it remotely interesting was the idea that you had several of the women there able to combat what what Camille was saying and say, hey, here's an alternative point of view to consider. With Orange County, to Richie's point, it is a group of all of those women are Kelly Dodd. And so it's just a group of Kelly Dodd prototypes, Kelly Dodding around. And so it's like, as a viewer, you want someone to come in there. It's not going to be Bronwyn, as much as I think people like to give her that platitude sometimes. Bronwyn has more redeeming qualities than many of the women. But I just think the bar is very low on Orange County and there's no, it just lacks morality. We need Heather Dubrovac. I was about to say the same thing. Bring back hexagonal ice. I think there's something to be said for the fact that I I love it. Put it in a glass, throw some tequila in there. That's a positive beverage. Um, (laughs) It's just, it's interesting to me that on Potomac, there was the idea at, at, during the reunion, at the beginning of the reunion, whatever, there was this whole performative act of Bravo doesn't condone violence. The network wanted to make sure ex- that we explicitly understood that regardless of what we have seen over the last 15 years, this is not something they want to celebrate. And yet, there does not seem to be any kind of warning attached to Kelly's racism. So why are we condoning, why are we not condoning violence unless it's violence spoken against black people. Right. Like that is another form of violence. It just doesn't involve a table. Yeah, they've decided that racism and public health are like political conversations that lack that that are nuanced whereas like fighting between housewives is like you know totally just incorrect. 
which is what is frustrating about it. It's like, what? Has your noting this, has your perspective watching Bravo in the last year changed? Do you have a different idea of what it means to be a Bravo-holic and member of the community, regardless of whether or not the network itself plays a role in that? Like, do you look at Bravo differently? Do you watch it differently? Is it, or is it, are you, have you become more of a Bravo-holic because it has served as an outlet during a time in which we're stuck inside for months on end? Has there been any kind of change because of their reaction or lack thereof to Black Lives Matter or because of the pandemic or just because this year has been fucking shit? Or does it stay the same? I think my, I, I don't think of, I don't think of myself as being like a Bravo-holic or being in a community. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, but I do think of myself as a consumer of all reality television. So I don't know mm -hmm. that I look at Bravo differently. I think corporate activism in general is hard and kind of like at odds with each other. And I don't think I expect anything more from Bravo than they're necessarily doing. And I think some of that has been a discovery along the way. Um, so yeah, but I think my processing and consumption of reality TV has changed because I think that it does like, I don't want ever, I don't want Monique to apologize because that makes her less interesting. So I feel like sometimes these ideas of like, we need everyone to be morally correct and, and it like the idea that all of these people are corrupt and trash people, yes, but then it's like, well, this person needs to get fired because they did this, and this person needs to get fired because they did this. Like, I feel exhausted, and I'm like, how am I contributing to this? Because these people are all awful, and I wanna watch it, but I just find that like reality TV as a genre is sort of hard. Like, how does it sustain itself when it does thrive on agents of chaos, but also I want to have nuanced conversations about some of this stuff, and I feel like the genre doesn't really allow for that. And so the Kelly Dodds continue to live, and I don't know, it just feels hard. So I'm not sure, I, I continue to watch, but I do feel like it is hard. Yeah, I, I nothing has changed about how I watch it uh, because mm -hmm. I don't have any expectations of this network or of these franchises or of these women. Um, I would say my interest has definitely waned over the years because I think my sensibility always goes towards the older of anything. But I miss, I mean, for me, it will always be like those early seasons of Atlanta, the early seasons of New York, um, even, you know, Beverly Hills and, and even Jersey, um, just because it's not to say like the show didn't make you famous. It did back then, but there were just different ramifications of it because it was a little less of like a 360 degree brand at the time and you know i think it's like you look at a lot of those early housewives like let's talk about new york for instance like the kelly ben simone and the alex mccords and like the the early dolls and it's like they're kind of silent now you know they're not like trying to like really sell you much they kind of do their own thing kelly pops up from time to time but i guess i just kind of miss the days of like the show being a little bit more self-contained and i feel like once it started you know i think bethany like kicked it off but once it became a sort of like platform you start to have women in these later seasons come on the show 
with the goal. The goal is not to open up about their lives. The goal is not to let people in. The goal is to sell the product. I think that was very much the case with Monique. I think that's why she came on the show to begin with and why she had no real friendships coming into the show um, because she had a product she wanted to sell, you know? Um, and it's not that I don't necessarily like a lot of the women that have come in this sort of like third wave, I would say, that we're in now. Um, Sarah, we've discussed the various waves. Um, but I just think that like the entertainment and the just like the the sort of like ridiculousness of the early seasons I miss I'm glad to see issues like Black Lives Matter happening on the current season of Atlanta but again going back to tonally that is very different than the Atlanta of seasons two and three and four it's not to say they can't all exist together um, but I definitely think that the Various franchises have had various evolutions, um, that buzzword evolution again, in terms of like where where they are and sort of like how, how where they want the audience to be with them. So I guess, sorry, long answer mean long, but it's like, I think the, some of the, sh not I have not changed in terms of how I watch it, but some of the shows themselves have changed quite a bit. Mm. Richie, what are your thoughts? I think it's I think it's a lot a mix of a lot of things. I mean, the times have changed. This year has changed all of us dramatically. So I think maybe my expectations have changed just a bit. I do think with these shows, there has to be some sort of grounding figure, like maybe an OG or maybe just a heartbeat of the show. And I think it's up to the production company and the network to understand who that is. You know, for OC, it was a Heather Debro. You know, whether you liked her or you didn't like her, that would be the perfect balance to someone like a Kelly Dodd if they did want to keep her because she is representative of some subset of people out there that does probably need to be represented. But what we're missing is the in-depth conversation or I guess the nuanced conversation that would happen between those two women if they had to coexist in the world that we live in today. And I think that the issue with O'Bronwyn on that show, which is probably representative of some of the types of women that have, that are coming on these shows, is that I don't understand. And it's this is maybe a me thing, and I have the slight little bit of disconnect with Leah as well, is that I don't necessarily know who these women are yet because they seem a little all over the place. And so that kind of feels like what New York felt like this season, all over the place. There was no grounding figure there. We didn't have the Dorinda to set these women straight. So I think that there just has to be a balance. And Bravo just needs to figure out, or the production companies, just need to figure out what the balance is of zany, crazy, heartbeat, grounding. And I think once we get back to that, then I think that a lot of the shows will start to pick up again. Salt Lake City is a great example of a show that has it. Mm -hmm. All of those types of people wrapped up in one show. But don't you feel like they're trying? Mm, I, I find I love Salt. I like Salt Lake City, but I also feel like there's so much, like there's such students of the of Housewives that I like Jen Shaw. Like the, the, mo the most honest part of Jen Shaw to me has been her talking to a producer about her depression and being isolated from her husband. Like every interaction she has with the women, I find her to be the worst. Like she's like her in the snow, her, she's grading. I think that's like, she's trying so hard to be this archetype of what we expect housewives to be. And to me, that's just like, so not interesting now. I, I can see that, but I also felt, I feel like there are still moments and people within that cast that, 
give me hope, I guess. You know what I mean? Because I feel like it's almost impossible these days to get a full cast full of women who aren't trying to be the housewives archetype, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I just feel like they somewhat hit the nail on the head with the casting. They just need to be more real. Because we're smart now. We see it. Can I add one thing? Of course. I just think that one of the issues moving forward, and I think this speaks to the conversation we're having, is the show wants to both be the showcase of a Kelly Dodd type figure while also putting out these headlines about firing racist cast members and then about adding all of these multicultural dynamics to these new franchises by inserting women of color into pre-existing franchises now. And it's like, they're trying to do two things because the whole premise of this show was we're going to show you a really small specific subsect of friends it's not to say it needs to be all of one race but that's just the ones that they were showing us and so now what we're seeing with beverly hills and with dallas and adding more in new york adding more diversity i guess it's like they want to be they want to be answering the calls of viewers and viewers want to see amplified diversity on these shows and yet that doesn't match with having a Kelly Dodd-like figure on your show. And so I just feel like they, to to, um, some earlier points, just sort of about the sort of instability of some of the franchises right now, and even what we're talking about with Salt Lake City, it's like having these students of Housewives mixed with people who seem really authentic. I just feel like there's an imbalance in terms of like, where the overall show what it wants to be does it want to be what's happening on atlanta right now or does it want to be drunken dorinda slurring her words and Mm. i think it wants to be both and i think that's difficult to be Mm. and i think right now we're just going to watch the difficulty like I, i don't think that there's a solution to any of this i think that we're discussing problems that have existed these are like cracks in the foundation and i don't know that anyone has any interest from the network perspective with filling them i think just the fact that we're acknowledging them and still able to find joy and experience throughout it is um is great i mean in 2020 bravo has been incredibly helpful to me because it felt like a consistent way for me to continue feeling like this like in myself when i can't go outside and so it became that outlet for me and also that comfort blanket. And there's nothing better than something that brought you joy last year that's continuing to do so now, you know? And I I think that's great. I do want to end with um, one of Andy's favorite phrases, which is, what's your rose and thorn of 2020? Do you have a rose and thorn? And if your rose is loving roses and your thorn is not loving thorns, go for it. No, No pressure. But is there a moment that you just like, hold close to you that brought you a little bit of joy and something that didn't, it can be literally anything. Okay. So my road for 2020 and housewives is the moment where Ashley and Monique called Karen on speakerphone and asked her if she said <laughs> Monique wasn't, or wasn't invited to her wig um, event. And then she and Ashley kept going back and forth and being like, okay, you tried it. Bye. And it was like, no, you tried it. Okay. Bye. I left and I rewatched it like 10 times. It made me laugh so hard. And it's like, it speaks to the brilliance of those particular women, but also that franchise. So that is my rose for housewives. What's your thorn? My thorn is Jen Shaw in the snow. I can't. It's so <laughs> annoying. <laughs> oh my God. Richie Sky, what's your rose? What's your thorn? Okay. My thorn, and I've thought hard about this. When we were given that Real Housewives of Beverly Hills trailer, at the end, the producer asked Denise Richards, so are you ready to talk about all this? 
and she gives that little sexy smirk. We didn't see that in the season. I looked for it all season long, and we never saw it. That never occurred to me. Oh, my God. I'm mortified. I thought I I was crazy. I was like, uh, did it happen? I blinked. Um, And then my rose, actually, was at the end of the reunion for Potomac. And I don't know if you guys caught this. Chris Samuels and Chris Bassett both apologized to each other. And I think they hugged. And after such a contentious reunion and such a frustratingly emotional buildup, I almost felt a little tear come to my eye just watching that because it felt like it gave me hope. I love that. Evan Ross Katz? My thorn was Bethany. I just feel like this was an absolute disaster year for Bethany. I feel like ever since she left the show, it's just been straight down for a crash landing. Um, My rose would be kind of the respect that Karen Huger has sort of earned outside of the show. I just, there's something about Karen Huger that I really like, and I feel like what began as sort of like, I don't want to say she began as a joke on the show. I don't mean it that way, but I think that that like she was kind of edited with like that rinky dinky music sometimes and made to be like sort of like a goofy figure who was not trying to be. And I just feel like not for nothing, like Ladam sells. Like Karen Huger is a very successful woman. And I just think it's like watching Karen come into her own, communicating with Ray, and just getting that Rihanna DM, like all of this stuff that's happening for Karen feels so earned and i just get a good person vibe from karen huger and so mm-hmm. my th- my excuse me my rose is just the success of karen huger um okay rose and thorn i'm gonna start with a thorn and you know i had a different thorn in my head but just because we started this episode with so much potomac it's a two-parter one is the shit that giselle was doing and the the security guard of it all just remains in my head and the frustration with the fact that there was so much negative focus on Monique and especially on Chris and yet Michael Darby lives to see another day and my specific thorn is the idea that next season there's going to be yet another rewrite where there's a season premiere where they say Michael really you know Ashley's like Michael really fucked up but baby's almost here, baby arrived, and we're just gonna start again anew, and we're gonna see the same process of a predator get replayed, do the same crazy behavior to try to self-destruct and bring his wife with him on the way down, and nothing will change, and the cycle will continue forever until he is potentially successful and gets his wife fired from this show. So shout out to Michael Darby, I hate you forever, is my thorn. And my rose is, listen, Shannon Storms Vador will always have a special place in my heart. I'm a 20-year vegetarian who doesn't consume dairy, so I can never have cream cheese stuffed salmon or salmon stuffed cream cheese or some sort of weird fish cheese combination. (laughs) But a piece of me will always love Shannon. She's never responded to any of my DMs. I've had drinks with her at the plaza. She has not responded since, like, maybe that month. I tag her in only positive things. She has not yet responded. I will love her forever. But a new Supreme rises. And Heather Gay, you are that light in my life. I see myself in you. I'm not Mormon. Don't plan to be. 
but I love the journey that you are going on, understanding the ways that you have changed as a person and knowing your worth. Heather Gay, you and I respond, correspond with each other fairly regularly, and I appreciate that about you. That might change <laughs> as the show becomes more and more successful. But she feels like a real human person, and how many franchises contain actual human people? So shout out to Heather Gay, who feels like if Heather Gay is the future of Housewives, we will be hopefully totally fine. Um, and listen, it would be a little bit of a lie if I didn't say I had another rose, which was obviously the conversation during this episode today, our fun little top 10 list of like maybe two and a half before it combusted. But that's also that goes to show my love of the kinds of conversations that we have on Andy's Girls and the idea that, you know, I myself as like the host might be thinking that we bring something else to the table. But as a member of Team The Table, I know that that conversation will always shift, will always change and be so much better as a result. So I'm so appreciative to the three of you for joining today and for your thoughts. You know, this was a really bad year. I have a lot of hope for next year, a lot of hope for the seasons that Bravo is going to bring us, the ones yet to come. And a shout out to all the listeners at home, who some of whom have been OGs of the AG who have been here for this journey since Damien and I started the pod 600 years ago and um, the folks who are new to the podcast, because this is the kind of space where you come and you have these talks and you have these moments and have conversations and you may not agree with someone's perspective, but you listen. And that is the absolute best that I could hope for with this show. And I'm so appreciative to anyone who's felt like Andy Scrolls has helped be a little bit of a light in a year filled with darkness so let us all hope, you know, in, as a Jew, we only say like next year in Jerusalem, pass the matzah. And for me, it's like next year on bravotv.com. Let us be a, a hopeful, <laughs> more prayerful. My rabbi is literally curdling at the idea of that comparison. But let us hope for a better new beginning than the one that we got in 2020. On that note, guys, I'm actually going to let those of you on Patreon know what that top 10 list of bullshit was that I had created before this recording. So go to patreon.com to hear that. And in a fun welcome to 2021, there are actually two brand new bonus episodes of Andy's Girls, an hour apiece, um, up on Patreon just in time for 2021 and patreon.com slash Andy's Girls, the number one way to support yours truly, the pod, and also get exclusive bonus apps and invites to special events like the amazing holiday Kiki that happened last week that was phenomenal. So head on over to patreon.com slash Andy's Girls to um, nibble on some new episodes for the new year. And of course, on my Instagram at Dane Galley. You can see the brand new um, music video for Andy Baby, that amazing holiday song that premiered on last week's holiday episode. Um, it's gotten like some crazy views since it went up two days ago. So I'm so excited about that. So check that out on my Instagram. It is a very funny video. Um, I am a sociopath and really... <laughs> <laughs> the, the photos used are completely insane. So see that um, on my Instagram at Dane Galley. And you can follow these lovely guest co-hosts of mine. I'm going to put their handles um, in the show notes for this week's episode. You can, of course, um, follow DJ 
Richie Sky to see Richie Sky's amazing social media on IG as well as his phenomenal YouTube channel. He's had interviews with amazing housewives and many other um, Bravo Lebs and Bravo Holics like myself. So check that out. Damien Bellino at Damien Bellino as well as his podcast you might know her from and Evan Ross Katz. Shut up, Evan. And his Instagram handle is at Evan Ross Katz. So definitely check out those pods um, for these amazing guest guest co-hosts who I was so happy to um, spend today uh, talking to. Who better to wrap up 2020 than this holy trinity of Richie, Evan, and Damien. So thank you guys so much for joining me. And my God, so much to say. I am so appreciative to all of you um, for joining. And also because we opened this episode with um, All Things Potomac, just a little note that a new Patreon episode is coming with a conversation with myself, a well-known member of Team Candace, a well-known member of Team Monique, and a fabulous member of Team The Table. And yours truly. So look for that on Patreon the next week. Guys, how are we feeling? Did we do okay? Awesome. Here, baby. Love it. <laughs> All right, guys. I hope everybody had a safe and healthy New Year's. And we will see you, AGs, next week. Here's to 2021 and new beginnings. Bye, guys.